0: And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this broadcast. We are so glad that you are able to join us today. Today's sermon, The Devolution of Mankind. How does anyone suppress God's truth? Turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to find out. Our God has righteous indignation when persons suppress His truth. And now with His message is our pastor, Robert Elliott.
1: And so if you haven't turned back to Romans 1, I invite you to turn back to Romans 1 and beginning at verse 18. I want to read our entire passage before we look at it more closely. Romans 1, 18 to 32, hear the word of God. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity that their bodies might be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error." And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, they, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And though they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. That is the already wrath of God, as expressed by the scriptures. And it seems to me that as we look at this passage that is so relevant and so current that you want to touch the page of your Bible to see if the ink is still wet, As we look at this passage, we need to look at it in terms of five questions being answered. First, why do I need salvation? Maybe your coworker asked that question. Maybe your spouse asked that question. Why do I need salvation? Second, why am I under God's wrath? Third, what truth do I suppress? Four, how do I suppress the truth? And five, what is God's revealed wrath? Let's look at these one at a time. Question one, why do I need salvation? The answer from the text is because all ungodliness and unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. Because all ungodliness and unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. That's what it says in verse 18a. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and Unrighteousness. Sometimes God's wrath, the person under it, doesn't even understand that they are. Why do I need salvation? Because all ungodliness, all unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. The Greek word which is translated wrath here is orge, O-R-G-E, orge. Orge is a special word which is reserved for rational, righteous anger. When you see a child molested, when you see a woman raped, when you see someone embezzle money and cheat people out of the retirement savings money, you should have orge anger. Orge anger is reserved for rational and righteous anger. Jesus had orge anger when he walked into the temple and threw the money changers out with whips and said, you've made my father's house a house of merchandise, but it is a house of prayer. And by the way, if you wear a what would Jesus do bracelet, you better consider that part of his character too. What would Jesus do? Well, sometimes he'd have orge anger. So should we. Orgay anger is reserved for rational and righteous anger. We might know it as righteous indignation. This kind of anger is measured and it is reasonable. It is in no way an out-of-control, knee-jerk reaction. Our Lord, again, had this anger at the temple. So Why? Does a person need salvation? 18 tells us that the person needs salvation because all ungodliness and unrighteousness are always under God's wrath. You're under God's wrath. (laughs) That's why you need salvation. Second question. Second question is, why am I under God's wrath? Someone took the gospel to a longtime Canadian atheist in the hospital and shared the gospel with him on his deathbed he said i'm not aware that god and i have ever had any odds donald trump whatever you think of him said he can't recall a reason he's ever had to ask god for forgiveness because he makes good decisions why am i under god's wrath here's why second part of verse 18 people are under god's wrath for the suppression of the truth The suppression of the truth. See it in the second part of 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. Who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When it comes to God's truth, mankind is very good at suppressing it, holding it under, pushing it down, forcing it into a lidded box. We're good at that. We do this in a lot of ways. We do this by concluding that truth is relative. We do this by concluding that truth is archaic, old-fashioned, out of date. We do this by concluding that truth is constrictive. We do this by concluding that truth is bendable, shapeable, tailor-made to our thoughts of truth. We do this by concluding that truth is unknowable. Truth is knowable. Truth is knowable. And a person who says that truth is not knowable is suppressing the truth. But the summary way of saying how mankind, without Christ, suppresses God's truth is that mankind is consistently and unashamedly unrighteous. See it there in verse 18? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, watch it, who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. In unrighteousness. You could picture God's pure truth as a bouncy child's ball that people are playing with in a swimming pool. It wants to float. It was made to bob at the surface of the pool water, but good swimmers love to shove the ball under the surface with their weight, and they try to hold the ball underwater. It's kind of a fun game. They don't want it to pop up above the surface to be seen. This is a mundane illustration of how The the world, mankind without Christ, tries to suppress the truth, keep it underwater, but the truth has a way of emerging. God's truth is buoyant. You can't really hold it down. Verse 18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Question three What truth do I suppress? Well, this is the answer the truth about God's power and the truth about God's person. Typically, Those that would suppress the truth of God suppress the truth of God's power and of God's person. More specifically, the truth that God is the creator and above man, the creation, that's suppressed with evolutionary theory. We see this with me in verses 19 and 20, please? Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. God's person and power have been miraculously and magnificently expressed in creation. And so Satan attacks creation, says there's no creator so that God's truth could be suppressed that we're just uh, products of random chance. It takes way more faith to be an evolutionist than to be a Christian. To be an evolutionist, you have to believe that the airplane above the uh, Bahamas full of... Uh, hundreds of thousands of letters of the English alphabet dumps all the letters and they fall to the ground on our nation and they form the Encyclopedia Britannica by random. And then you say to them, that's ridiculous. And they say, okay, just take the plane higher so the letters have longer time to fly.
0: Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is
2: Pastor Nicholas, another edition of you Talk, And today we want to pick up where we left off the last time, with the soap method. And, you know, when we consider, we looked at the S, and we looked at Scripture, and we looked at, we need to read it, or we need to hear it over and over and over again. Because sometimes we may read something in Scripture and have no idea what it is saying. And we need to read it so we could try to understand it better. So that was the S that we looked at. And, and today we want to continue to look at and and some of the things that we even do when we read it is this, we may underline some stuff in it. Look at things that we need to, you know, underline. And say, well, what does this mean? What does that mean? Also, we might want to write something that helps me remember, help me to write, remember what I was, you know, doing and and how I was looking at the scripture. And we could do that as we look at what we the passage we looked at the last time at James chapter one verse twenty two. And some of the key words, there would be like doers, hearers, you know, what do do these mean? Which brings us to the O or the SOAP method, it's observation. Look for the important ideas or themes. What's the big picture? Are there any words that get repeated? What is the purpose of this passage? You see, it's easy to put our own spirit on scripture and try to make it say what we want to say. But remember, this is God's letter written to us. It's our responsibility responsibility to figure out what these words are saying, not just what we want them to say. and as we look at this text and we look at James chapter one verse twenty two and twenty five some of the key words that we will see are doers, hearers. you know what what do they have in relation to each other? We need to observe that you know those are some of the words that we may underline and look more deep into it. What can we do as we think about that? What, what is it, you know, what does it mean to do something? What does it mean not to just hear something? You know, this is some of the observations that we do. And I think that when we do, you know, we look at a passage, what are the things that we would observe? What things do, do you know some people would say, look at how, you know, who's who's it about? Where is it taken? where where is this happening? What's the context of it? You know, these are the things that we want to observe. Sometimes it takes us to go back and find the context. So we need to understand exactly what is going on. As we looked at, you know, we want to focus on James 1.22, but let's go, we went back to verse 19 to find the context, to be quick to hear, slow to speak. So we're on the O, and now we're on the A of SOAP, and it's application. How can I apply the scripture to my life? Again, as we look at James chapter 1, verse 22, it's very simple. The application is to do something about it. You know, don't just sit back and and don't do anything, but we need to do something. We need to not just hear it. And as we consider, not every passage of Scripture is like James in the sense of it's easy to find an application. Sometimes we have to search. and, And, you know, one thing I like about the book of James is very practical and easy to find application. But there are, sometimes you're going to read some stuff in the Old Testament that's very hard to find application. But sometimes what I like to do in my own you know, Bible study and, and looking at those things is to find a verse in that particular passage and see how I can apply that to my life. Again, as we consider the Old Testament uh, is written to Israel, but a lot of it we can still apply today. The there are things that we can look at how we can do our lives. And there are many people that, that, that just... In a sense, look at the, the Old Testament and think, well, it's just an old, you know, historical. But we need to know the whole context of what happened because with the Old and the New Testament, it's all God's book. As we're going to look at, as we close this series and look at what um, Second Timothy says. And the last thing is this, in the soap, is prayer. You know, as we consider, even an old Sunday school song that we used to sing, read your Bible, forget to pray, and you'll shrink. You see, there's no theological, you know, thing to that song. But the reality is that we need to pray. We need to communicate with God. You know, ask him, help us for the scriptures to change something in our lives. Help us to apply it to our lives. Help us to see where, what we need to change in our lives. You see, when you end in prayer, you invite God into the process of helping you understand and apply his words. And, like we talked about last week, it's about an opportunity for you to get to know Him better. So, I ask you this question. You know, we can read God's Word. You know, we can read for an hour and sometimes not get anything. But when you consider God's Word and you look at it, maybe you can use, and there are other methods that you can use, but think of the soap, read the Scripture, observe the Scripture, apply the Scripture and pray about the scripture. How can I apply that? You know, again, as we consider this series and we've looked at how God's word is a love letter and how it can change us, how we need to know Him more. We need to remember that every single word is inspired from God. Every single word that is written in the book, as we even looked at last week, there are some that are not there that we need not to be concerned about. We need to be concerned about what Scripture says, and this is the, the, the best way that we can even close this series in and this is from Second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is breathed out by God. And as we observe that, as we read the scripture, we can look at the first word all. Everything that we have is all the scripture is breathed out by who? God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that a man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. You see, we already looked at how God's word is a guide for our lives. But when we can look at this verse and we can consider the truth here, that everything in this book is for us. It's for us to train in righteousness. It's helped us to become more like Christ. You know, there are many of us who will put so much time and effort into training for a marathon or or lifting weights or whatever it may be. And that is great to do. But I want to ask this question. Are you training for the war? Are you training for the war of whatever comes our way? You know, we are living in a society when the scriptures are being compromised, even in some churches. The question is, do you know what you believe? Do you know what the Scripture says? Are you living out the Scriptures? Or are you one of those people that are are giving Christ a bad name? Again, as we consider this and as we close this, I want us to read this one more time so that we can really grasp this in our minds and our hearts. All Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Again, Christ doesn't want us to do this on our own. He gave us the Holy Spirit to help us, to guide us, and direct us. We have God's Word. The question is, what are we doing with it? Are we reading it? Are we applying it? Are we praying it? I'll be praying to Christ and say, God, I want you to use your word to change me so that I become more like you. Because that's what this is about. Not just about reading it and checking a box, but truly knowing Christ. And again, letting the scripture change us from the inside out. This is Pastor Nicholas in the edition of Utah. And now, today's
1: ministry spotlight. Well, good morning, listeners. I'm in the radio studio this morning with my friend and colleague, Dr. Stephen Lewis. Good morning, brother. Good morning. Dr. Lewis serves as the president of Rocky Mountain Bible College and Seminary in Denver, Colorado. And of course, as an American citizen and as an American minister and educator, Maybe you ought to know that the saying here in the Bahamas is that when the United States sneezes, uh, the Bahamas catches the cold. So there's a lot of uh, interaction between our our two countries. And uh, in many ways, the Bahamas uh, seems to follow the trends in the United States, not always, but to some degree. So I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on what do you feel is the state of the, generally speaking, the uh, the Church of Christ, uh, General Church of Christ in America?
3: Well, you know, I think, uh, as you stated, that uh, sometimes as the West, we have a great deal of influence. And that can be for good or for bad. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a sad thing. I would hope that that we engender a love of God's Word that is that is exampled in many churches, not all. And I think um, Television and electronics and the different media we have today has changed a lot of the way in people, the way in which people look at the body of Christ. There's always been generational gaps, always. You know, mom and dad, they didn't like this music, didn't like that music, and their parents didn't like something about their generation. We've always had generational gaps or distances. But when a gap happens, when there's a paradigm shift, as we had in the late 50s from from what we call modern to postmodern, it's like a generation gap on steroids. And it has a tendency to affect the church in ways that all the other generation gaps have not really tried to address. Generation gaps occur, you know, just logically and generationally, and half for all of mankind. But these big gaps that are coming—they're massive and they're—they're they're changing things. And so, what we're finding is—is is that churches are not looking at what we call multi-generational churches. They're trying to, as one man who was very popular at this says, you need to find the niche that people like. If, you like, In other words, if everybody likes country western music, you use country western music. If Everybody likes jazz, everybody uses jazz. And to find your niche and just go with that. But that doesn't really address the multi-generational issues that we have in the states. And so with materialism, uh, not just on the rise, I mean it's over the top in so many areas that affect it. it. It affects the church. Whatever you think of in in any sense, economics, culture, education, whatever it affects any person, it affects the church as well. People bring it in whether they are... a acutely aware of it or not and sometimes people have a tendency to do just the opposite they'll they'll circle the wagons they'll say we won't change we will not do anything new we will not do anything if it was good enough for 200 years ago it's good enough for us now and uh, they can put their hands over their ears and yell louder and yet in a sense it will not change the fact that change is still occurring all around them. So this concept of today of postmodernism is eating everybody's lunch. And unfortunately, the American educational system has bought into this probably for the last 75, almost 100 years. And it's become so secularized and anti-Christian that it is making a real impact, unfortunately, on the next generations. And so to that, we weep. And we hope that that weeping, if you will, will not translate into a cold that the other nations look at as an example. I think today there are probably some countries that where the body of Christ is actually healthier, mm-hmm. and we ought to be smart and wise enough to take some input from them instead of just looking to the West or the U.S. as an example of how to do church or how to be the church. Yes, when you talk
1: about parts of the body of Christ around the world maybe being spiritually more healthy than some churches in America. A friend of mine was... uh, in India, and uh, serving Christ in India, and he told me that the Indian church that he was familiar with was praying for persecution for the Christians in America, not out of a mean-spirited no, approach, no, no. but because they, from firsthand experience, knew how persecution uh, drove them to be closer to Jesus and to be more... Uh, in love with His Word, the mm-hmm. Bible, and they were praying for that, and, which is rather a striking truth to me. Uh, what excites you? Would you say about the evangelical church in America right now?
3: Well, I think the the excitement is is that we have the the capacity to know more intensely God's Word than ever before. Mm-hmm. If no matter what your background, there's a good uh, translation that can help you understand it. And I think this concept with the families and all the other uh, mechanisms that are put in place by God's design have availability to do so much more. Uh, You know, I tell the students, you know, you need to read your Bible. Somebody says, what if I listen to it on an iPod? Great. What if I listen to it on a a video, watch it in a video? Great. We have so many other ways in which we can obtain God's word. To begin to uh, the study of it and to know it and to prayerfully have it change our lives as never before. Mm-hmm. But then sometimes having more doesn't necessarily translate into being more effective about it. Right. Um. The more recent generations,
1: the younger persons in the body of Christ in the United States, generally speaking, uh, their generation is very cause-oriented. Mm, yeah. They love
3: uh, to be right. part of worthwhile causes. Could you speak to that as it affects the church? Well, I think, I think the church has to, in some sense, go outside of itself, of its four walls, and know that the causes that the youth of today want to encounter can be encountered, if you will, by the word of God in a good way. Having young adults involved in all aspects of society where sometimes Christians withdraw from society is is a healthy sign. But sometimes it doesn't, they don't have anyone to emulate on how to do that. So some of these young adults, maybe some of the first generations in their heritage to be involved in the civil civil things around them to make an impact and genuinely the health of a church is how much effect it has on its own societies true and i think this multi-generational has to be addressed i was at a church one time of older adults and one of the older men said well why don't they younger people just let us do what we want and when we die they can do it the way they want wow I said, well, you know, the thing is, is the church may die before they get that chance. church may die before the older people <laughs> before die. Before the older people die, and they just haven't buried it yet. So I think there's a real sense in which uh, there's a lot of hope with the young adults, uh, but there's also, they have a lot of inertia to overcome as never before. So our prayer for them is to really find a way to engage them without distancing them from us.
1: Yes, and what greater cause could there ever be than uh, seeing persons come out of darkness and uh, moving toward being perishing in sin and hell and to give them the Savior, the only Savior that God has given us, and to do that with love and with uh, prayer. Uh,
0: what greater cause could there possibly be than to do that? Thank so, You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio.com at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684 Nassau, Bahamas and remember everyone needs a Savior.